Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. This is a space where we seek to create and cultivate healthy conversations between those things we geek out on and the philosophical and theological questions that often arise out of our fandoms. Like, what does it mean to be human? What makes a hero? What makes a villain? How do the stories and narratives we geek out on shape how we live in the world? We are your priests to the geeks. We aren't all ordained, but we see ourselves as mediators at the intersection of geek culture and going deeper in our faith. We don't always have to agree, but we do respect each other. And we see everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone geeks out on something, so come geek out with us and enjoy the show. You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Are you strong enough to fight the demons, the vampires, and the forces of darkness? Do you keep up with the latest fashion while executing killer martial arts? And do you quip witty one-liners while stabbing a creature of the night through the heart with a stake? Um, if you answered yes to any of these questions, then congratulations. You are an official member of the Scoobies. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar, uh, that means we're going to be discussing uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And don't worry, dear listeners, um, we'll make you a Scooby um, by the end of the episode. Trust us. You, you, we will. It's going to happen. Uh, but this is Systematic Ecology. We are the Priests of the Geeks. Um, and I am one of your hosts, Nick Polk. And uh, I am here with the really, really, really good looking Christian Ashley. How are you? All right. Uh, feeling pretty good. It's a nice compliment. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a I had Zoolander on the brain. And so I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what's more to life than being really, really, really ridiculously good looking? <laughs> Uh, another another fantastic great movie, movie. fantastic movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, also we'll get into this later, but it's a, it's a it's a bittersweet moment. It's my last episode as a host on Systematic Geekology. I've had a great time. Uh, I've, I'm friends with everybody. I am just focusing my time elsewhere. And Christian has been kind enough to um, he's going to at the end of the episode, we'll do some interviews or we'll have another interview episode. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just it's it's a bittersweet moment for me. I'm bad. at I'm bad at goodbyes. So but we're going to go off with a bang here and talk about the Buffy verse because it is one of my favorites. Oh, yes. And Christian and I are one of the few blessed few of the systematic ecology team that have actually, uh, you know, watched the show. So, yeah, we're part of the uh, the elect there, um, the Buffy versus elect. So, Christian, uh, before we dive into Buffy, what you've been nerding out on? Uh, so just today, Ultimate Black Panther 1 released. And I got to say, this is another solid setup. I enjoyed it. Not as much as I did for Ultimate Spider-Man 1, but it's still pretty dang good. Now, is uh, this is this is a comic run, I'm guessing, correct? Yes. Okay. So what's uh I mean all right so has it got you itching for a more even if it's maybe not as good as Ultimate Spider-Man one? It's got me itching for more. I like what uh, Hickman has done with making this new universe to make a new Ultimate universe, and with the other writers that are and artists working with him. Super cool, super cool. Yeah, I've uh, 
Recently, I've also kind of been in the Marvel world. I watched Echo when it was released, and so it just, just amazing. Uh, bringing in uh, Wilson Fisk back, just love that uh-huh. character. And I was like, okay, now Daredevil is another season's coming out. So I just binged the crap out of the first season of of the original Daredevil that was on Netflix and now oh, it was yes. on Disney Plus. And it's just, I have, probably haven't watched it since maybe season two of The Punisher came out. So this is this is years now probably at least five years and it is just peak television just so good everything about it um yeah i i was i was glad to relive it so i'm gonna dive in and do season two and three and then do the punisher um we'll see if i get into the other defenders yeah i might i'll probably skip iron fist but you know I really love Luke Cage. Oh, it's so good. Jessica Jones had a good start. I, I I don't think I ever watched the last season of that, but I do enjoy it overall, even parts of Iron Fist. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are parts of Iron Fist. I think I probably liked the the Iron Fist alone, the standalone season. I probably like the middle and the end probably better. I think the beginning is kind of weird for me. Um but I also really like East Asian culture and like martial arts and you mix us in a little East Asian mystical religion into your superpowers. I'm I'm gonna be a little sold. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little sold. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and real quick, uh, Brian Edward Hill is the writer of Ultimate Black Panther, not Hickman. Oh, nice, nice. Look at look at us at Systematic Life Ecology, getting getting the uh, getting the stuff right, getting our footnotes, our citations correct, uh, as true nerds do. Uh, cool. <laughs> So uh, we will, as we we will transition into the Buffyverse from here. Um, so let's just talk about. So Christian and I, when we were uh, talking about this last episode that I'm going to be on, what things I wanted to do, um, it was just I was just like, I don't know, the Buffyverse has anyone done anything in systematic ecology? And Christian said no, and nobody else has watched it. So we discovered on accident that we both have watched the show, and uh, you know. Through by providence, we're here discussing it. Uh, so I want to hear uh, what was your initial uh, reaction to the Buffyverse? Uh, you know, tell me about your first experience, Christian, and tell me how you feel about it now. Okay. Yeah, I missed this when it was on the air. Uh, I was Same. a little too young, yeah, for it at the time. Uh, it was like seven, I think. What did this come out? Ninety-seven, the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was too young for it. Uh, but then when I got into college, this beautiful mystical thing called TiVo was in my life. Oh, yeah. And I was able to see, oh, I can watch whatever I want, but I don't have to be in front of the television screen when it's on. So some of those things I missed, like uh, Buffy and Angel, I put those on uh, to record and we'll watch them later and got through everything and fell in love. Like, yeah, I, I have my gripes with this, some parts of the series, but ultimately, like, this is something I can easily come back into this world and engage with these characters and see what they're up to. I love the the Buffyverse as a whole. Ah, uh, man. Yeah. You know, also very similar where it was a little, t- I was too young. I'm, uh, I'm three years behind you. I'm 90, I was 94, 93. And I had a youth pastor who had the whole box set of the DVD collection 
Um, nice. And so he talked about it. And so I knew Sarah Michelle Geller, and of course, um, Allison Hannigan. Am I saying, or is it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, For Willow? Yes. Allison Hannigan was an early crush of mine uh, based mm. on just seeing her as the flute girl in American Pie. And we'll leave it there. But, uh, you know, this one time at band camp. And, there. <laughs> but huge crush. And I had, you know, so anyway, my youth pastor loved it. And during COVID, you know, my, lots of stuff was being released on streaming services. People are trying to find what to watch. And my wife had just binged all of the X-Files. And mm. um, I saw that Amazon Prime had added Buffy. And I was like, yo, I got to try it. I mean, what else? What have I got to lose? Watch the first episode and like instantly in love. The 90s nostalgia, um, the acting, it just it just hit this thing in my brain that I loved. Um, and my wife was like, eh, I don't, I don't really care to watch it. You go ahead. And uh, I was in bed. We were in bed and I was watching the second episode and we finished it. And she was like, can we go back and watch the the first episode? And so we did. And then we just went through Buffy, went through Angel. Um, and now when we make dinner or come home, um, generally we've got X-Files or Buffy the Vampire Slayer on in the background while we're uh, doing our meal prep. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, man. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those shows that makes you feel like when I've watched it now and when I revisit it, it makes me feel like I was there at the beginning, uh, even though I was most definitely not. Uh, oh, yeah. So, well, you know, we'll, I'll give you a little lore for anybody who uh, is not familiar with Buffy. If you need a little uh, a little lure um, to to, uh, you know, maybe wet your whistle, um, I'll give you a little summary here. So. Here's the origin of the show. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer was first released as an extremely corny 1992 film. I mean, that's how I would characterize it. It's very corny, very campy. Pretty much. Um, which the show is campy too and can be corny, but I don't. it's just done in such a better way, I guess. Well, that's what happens when executives don't mess with your script. Oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot that they took it in a different direction. Than he wanted to the the yeah. film that is yeah, Whedon was not very happy. I think he even left the set at one point in time. Understandably so. Um, which you know, uh, ah, man, yeah. I, I, I'm just glad that it turned out better, folks, because the movie did not. Yes, it it, it did relatively well. So I'll, I'll get there. But um, so although the movie was super corny, it went in a different direction. Not great. It had a a crazy cast for the time. I mean, you got Donald Sutherland, you got Christy Swanson, Hillary Swank, David Arquette, Paul Rubens, a couple more like early on. in a lot of these folks careers started with this movie or uh, obviously not Donald Sutherland, but other people. Um, and it's just crazy. And it, and it, it was moderately successful at the boss box office. Um, but it was not, um, it was had it, it. It was received with mixed reviews, and um, it was not remembered well. But uh, the WD WB picked up the rights in 1997 to create a show, um, and Josh Whedon had I think most control. Had a lot. Had a big team of writers. Was able to just move forward and make it to what we know uh, and love today. So Christian, 
after I gave you all of this information that you already know and uh, listeners, hopefully that was helpful. Uh, what does this say about questionably mediocre works of art and second chances um, or adaptations or revisions? Like, what do you think? There's hope. I mean, the first movie, I mean, what the only movie really is fine. I mean, it's not something I'm going to be like, yes, I'm going to put this into DVDs and I'm going to watch it again. You know, or like if if it was on TV and I had nothing else to watch, I wouldn't be offended by watching it. Yeah. The show, on the other hand, is like proof that, hey, you know, we had a solid concept here, but let's actually flesh it out, uh, unfortunately, on a TV budget. But, you know, that's what it is. And see how things go. And it proved to be a mega success, uh, especially in those days of the 90s and early 2000s of uh, seeing this young girl, you know, that typical one, one of the things Whedon wanted to do was, you know, all those horror movies we watched early on or the slasher films that always be that petite blonde and she would just get massacred by the monster. Well, they took the idea. What if I just reverse that and have her be the one the monster is afraid of? And it makes sense within the series. You know, that doesn't make a lot of sense in real life, but through, you know, magical shenanigans, we can have that work here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I watched that movie for the first time with my sister. Um, my younger sister is a huge horror nerd and, um, when I was watching Buffy, I like texted my sister and I was like, Hey, have you watched this show? And she was like, where have you been? You know, I watched this show like 10 years ago and I was like, all right, fine. And so I went home and she had the movie. So I went, uh, home for Christmas, watched it, uh, you know, enjoyed it for what it was, was glad that I was kind of like in that level of fandom where I'm like, I see the origins, I'm seeing the cast. I nerd out a little bit. Um, and then you know, trace the story back, uh, to the show and, and, and its success. But I'm kind of right there with you. I, um, especially with over the years, how many writers and actors say how just tough Hollywood is and just how it's so difficult to get any sort of creative control or trust to do anything risky. Um, and it, it usually comes at the cost of something really meaningful and would actually have made studios more money anyway. Um, but it's just, it's, it's cool that the, any industry, but creative, I feel like comes down to like relationships and people who have relationships with people and know their worth and know the stories um, and take a risk on people who uh, love what they're doing and and know what they're doing. You know, I think of Peter Jackson with The Lord of the Rings. He went to a bunch of studios. They were kind of like, meh, too much money. Make this one movie, two movies. And the guy from Wingnut or um, New Line Cinema, I can't remember which which guy it was. But he... I guess the latter. The latter. Okay. And he ended up meeting with like the CEO or one of those guys, um, one of the head honchos. And the guy was like, well, he seemed pretty passionate about it. Here's more money for three movies, you know, and he trusted him. And now it's over a billion dollar enterprise that's still going on. Um, so yes. I think we can there's I'll make some other Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, connections between that and Buffy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's one of my absolute favorite things about the show um, in particular is the 90s and early 2000s nostalgia that I hinted at earlier. 
Um, obviously, when it was released, it was current and not nostalgic, but nonetheless, <laughs> very much of its time. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, and, and especially <laughs> going back to it, you know, in as a way later, after, years after it, the show was was complete, you know. Uh, yeah, so many young actors, uh, technology and fashions that we grew up with, you know, that we were familiar with, um, even if we were watching kids movies like uh, Big Fat Liar and, and you know, uh, Snow Day and Nickelodeon originals like that. I don't know if you were, were you, were you a Nickelodeon guy or Disney guy? I wasn't a Nickelodeon kid, but I did see those movies. Okay. Just through the ether, you know, other kids like, hey, we got to watch this together. It's like, yeah, sure. I'm along for the ride. Okay. Okay. I, uh, you know, I think about Disney. I was a big Hillary Duff fan and I had Casper meets Wendy, which was a Disney kid original. And, uh, just so agent Cody Banks. Sorry. I'm going I'm, I'm, oh gosh. Yes. Come on. Frankie Muniz as a freaking, uh, James Bond teenager, the dream. It's perfectly ridiculous and I love it. Yeah. And uh, all the technology, all the fashion is there, all that stuff, and and even that sort of cheese is kind of present in the Buffyverse. Um, so as we return to Buffy, uh, what nostalgic memories does it trigger for you? And do you think that nostalgia is why there's been sort of like this, you know, including COVID, this renewed interest in the Buffyverse with so many people hinting at like, there's a reboot. No, there isn't. Now there maybe is again. Yeah, this is kind of like one of the perfect encapsulations of the unintentional period piece trope of like, you're not intending as, you know, writers or actors to like, like, obviously they're making it in the 90s and early 2000s, but not saying we're for every time, time immemorial, people are going to th- say this was made in the 90s and 2000s, but it is. It's got that whole idea of, you know, going to school, not having the internet as readily available as it is today, not having cell phones as readily available as today. Like they could have solved a lot of problems here. You've got, you know, the whole thing with like, we're not as uh, well attuned to seeking out mental health experts as we used to be, uh, as we are more prone to do now. Like, all those things kind of mix together and make this fantastical thing. Like it was even the first season we have like the, the online predator is actually a demon or yes. something like that. It's something that was just starting to happen. And it, it makes me really happy to see that as someone who has dealt with enough eighties nostalgia to last a lifetime and, you know, films and TV shows. And as much as I like things like stranger things, why can't we have something set in the nineties, you know, the greatest decade of all time, Dude. not just because I was born then. The greatest decade of all time, for sure. Um, the best music, uh, obviously, taste is subjective, folks. But the best music, yes. uh, some of the best fashion, best television, uh, you know, arguably some of the most aesthetically pleasing uh, to the eye uh, and, and touch technology. I mean, I miss, I miss my computer, you know. I miss my, uh, I, mm. I miss the sound. The family computer. The family computer. The, the internet, having to log in late at night and hoping your parents didn't wake up because it was just that loud. Gosh, yeah, you turned on the machine and this. <laughs> get, get off the internet. I need to make a call. Oh, so accurate. It never stopped, y'all. It really didn't. You'd think it would be like 930 uh, or 1030 on a weeknight before school uh and inevitably your your mom or dad would just 
be like, yeah, like you said, get off. I got to make a phone call. Dang, really? I'm trying to, I'm trying to aim my seventh grade crush mom. Okay. Um, man, there were so many times when I would try to muffle the sound late at night because I wanted to get on those Dragon Ball websites that just popped up so I could see what everyone's power levels were. Yes. Okay. Can we talk? Okay. Also, uh, total sidebar, but like the nineties websites for like Cartoon Network for very specific, like fan clubs for bands for the wild west. Oh my gosh. Of the internet. You'd go to like the DBZ website and like the menu items would be like, oh, you have to click, you know, Goku's arm. And once you click it, he shoots an energy beam and it takes you to the next, to the next, uh, to the next page, you know, and then you, you're moving your mouse around and you're like, oh wait, why is Shinron's mouth moving? Click. Oh my gosh. I'm learning about the history of Shinron right now. (laughs) It was just awesome. Everything on the internet's so minimalist and streamlined, y'all. And Christian and I are officially old because it's it's just it's just not like the good old days, y'all. It's just not. It's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I um, the nostalgia. I think that, and I, I I'm a high school English teacher, and I I think your point about the accessibility to technology and connection that we have now, it's hard to like a even for us who experience it, it's hard to re-access what it was like. Um, even in our age when it was like our parents didn't have as much accessibility. And then, of course, going forward, each each, each generation has this kind of uh, more complex availability when it comes to technology. But I was talking to kids about, you know, they have one class. They do their work and they're like, Mr. Polk, tell us a story when you were a kid, you know. And I told them about how I was talking, trying to talk to a girl, totally embarrassed myself and never talked to her again. And they were like, why didn't you, you message her? And I was like, y'all at that time, I didn't, I had a phone and I couldn't get her number unless I asked somebody and I didn't see her at school really. Um, and I said, if I really wanted to message her, I would, I would have to go on MySpace. I would have to take the time and search through people, mutuals, top eights and hope that eventually that she has a MySpace and take the risk of shooting my shot through uh, a pseudo creepy message as a ninth grade boy, you know? Um, And they just like, it blew, just the fact that you were like, oh yeah, you had to go on the internet physically and search for people that way. They were like, that's crazy. I'm like, I I don't know what to tell y'all. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. No, no. Uh, I mean, it feels like it, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even it was like that even like 15 years ago. You know, we're not even talking about 20 years ago. 15 years ago, it was like that. Yeah. You know, it was just starting. Facebook and all that was just starting to do a little more uh, seamless connection between like contacts and uh, iOS systems and things like that, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So and I think COVID was a big contributor too to that renewed interest similar with avatar, the last airbender, as we've talked about in the past. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It also kind of helps too. this. It's inevitable that eventually a generation is going to look back and, Oh, what did they like back then? And see, it's like, you know, not every generation has fallen in love with like, say like the twilight zone. Right. But like every 30 years on the dot, there's like a remake. Yes. It's so true. And even like, like 
I remember. You just go back. You just go back. And I, you know, I'm somebody who loves the Twilight Zone, the original. And my wife and I have been through the whole thing. And I've watched it, grew up watching it with my Nana um, and Papa growing up too. And, you know, good, good stuff, no matter how old it is. Oh, yeah. It's good. Um, I saw a quote today. I don't remember who it was from, some filmmaker or something. And someone said, there's no such thing as an old movie because if you haven't seen it, it's not old, you know? And I was like, ooh, I like that quote, you know, obviously time-wise. Interesting. But it's a new experience. It's not old to you. So. uh, I like that. Yeah. So I I experienced something nostalgic through this new IP that I had never really encountered. Um, And, you know, here I am at 30 in Buffy the Vampire Slayer influencing the trajectory of my fandom and potentially, you know, my view of the world. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So Christian and I've talked about, um, you know, our experience, we've talked about how the nineties is the best and we've gone on old millennial rants just about how, uh, new generations don't know what they're missing. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. So we've done, we've done a little groundwork in setting the, setting the Buffy verse up, um, as far as like where it came from, uh, how it got made. And then even Christian and I's take on our experience. So let's get into the nitty gritty of what the show is really about. Uh, So the show begins with Buffy Summers, who is a transfer to Sunnydale High School from Los Angeles. Uh, She was chosen as the next Slayer and was found by an organization called the Watchers, who are responsible for training the Slayer and keeping the forces of evil at bay. Uh, Buffy is basically stripped of her normal teenage life and thrown into being the supernatural savior of the world. And now most of her adventures kind of stay in the same place, but she's technically the only slayer in the world until later. Um, so anyway, that's a different plot. Until point. shenanigans happen multiple times. So many shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, slayers with terrible fake Jamaican accents. Um, <laughs> uh, R.I.P. <laughs> but um, so in Sunnydale, she gets connected with Giles, who is her assigned watcher and school libra- librarian. Uh, she gets connected with her best, the people who become her best friends, who are Xander and Willow. Uh, she gets connected with one of her high school nemesis, Cordelia Chase, uh, who is like the popular girl who always dogs on Buffy for, for being strange. Um, and then, of course, her star cross lover, uh, Angel. Uh, the vampire. Um, so characters come and go throughout the the story, but these are kind of like the core Scoobies that stay throughout the time. Now we'll pick up some people along the way and we'll lose some people along the way. Um, but this is, this is the group that we keep um, at least in the show. Um, but Buffy pretty much just begins as a monster of the week kind of show, but throughout, as it continues, it begins developing a pretty big world and mythos um, and leading to the vast Buffy verse we have today. We, we won't talk about, there's also seasons after this, the show ends uh, that Joss Whedon wrote through comic form afterwards. So there's actually, I think 12 seasons of Buffy or is it 13? Do you know off the top of your head? As far as the comics are concerned, yeah. like the last one I read was eight, and the last like plot line I was aware of was like in ten. So I think it's twelve. I have no clue. Yeah, I think it's twelve. Um, so if you're interested in that, listeners, uh, your local library will probably have it either physically or digitally. Um, yeah, so I would encourage you to do that. 
So, uh, Christian, as our listeners have now been enlightened about just the basic, uh, you know, understanding of just what Buffy is about and the elements that are there that contribute to what happens, uh, what aspect of the Buffyverse do you find most compelling? Why and when in the show did you come to your position? Man, there's so much here. It's I'll cheat as I always do, and I'll do two. I love it. I love uh, it. My first is the world building around these paranormal supernatural entities. Like, you know, you don't, don't just have demons. You have, like, species and who have different abilities. And you have vampires, some who are stronger than others. Like, how the sires work. How, like, how can they live so long? Why do they have these weaknesses? Like... All that coming together makes for a very compelling, you know, program. To, to me, as someone who likes writing, you know, and world building and creative things like that, it's like I can appreciate the work someone else has put in there. It's like, you know, do I always think, oh, that was a good decision? No, not always, but still, it's it's compelling that someone took the time to make that. You know, it's something like Star Trek. It's so great to see a new alien species come up. So what's their quirk? What makes them so different than everyone else? Or what? Uh, how can Buffy fight this villain here? You know, it said that we're a demon, but this demon is only weak to this. But maybe this demon is weak to something else, or maybe it's not weak to anything. How is she able to work that out? I, I love, like, the, the not knowing since, you know, we're making stuff up. Like, you know, that, that makes me feel good as a, as a viewer to go, okay, that's what they're thinking. Let's see how they actually follow through with all this. And I guess my second thing would be, unless you have something you want to say on that real quick, go for it, dude. Okay. Um, would be, honestly, I'm very compelled by Joss's interpretation of how the world works. He is most definitely, I said it multiple times over. He is a hardcore atheist. Yeah. And then I, being the quite literal antithesis to that, as I'm viewing this, I get to see, oh, I, I don't know if this man has any hope in his life. Yeah. I don't know, like, it, you know, if not to say that Buffy is a downer series, Angel is a downer series, you know, Angel did kind of end on a cliffhanger, but that's not Angel's fault that the network decided to get rid of it. But there's, because there, there's this hopelessness in Whedon's mind that, Brings up things like, you know, Xander leaving Anya at the altar, which is one of the dumbest things that ever happened. So stupid. I, I despise it with every fiber of my being. Or, you know, the side characters getting killed because the world doesn't have many meaning except what we kind of bring to the table. Um, but also at that same time, we see there is still a hope for the characters. There's always a chance to fight another day. Yeah. I mean, like Angel season five, that's kind of like the main message. It's like, yeah, we're outnumbered. Yeah, we may have temporarily allied with our enemies for a bit, but we're still going to fight the good fight. That is compelling to me as someone who is, you know, we're both in Christianity here. Yes. We are told to fight the good fight. We are told to keep running the race. We don't get to just stand by the sidelines and say, well, the world is full of sin and you know, God's judgment will come eventually. And then we just, you know, twiddle our fingers. No, we're supposed to resist that. Mm -hmm. oh, amen. Amen to that, dude. Oh. I, uh, I I just love to because I wanted to get your perspective and I'm I'm glad you did because I know you're a writer yourself. And so to get, you know, as you kind of analyze just what they're doing and how they're trying to, along with the world building as they're doing this episode by episode, um, you know, we, the world building, we get to like experience the rules of the universe and these new things through the characters, right? And they do it really well. 
Um, and there's so many different aspects of the show where they bring in different elements and tropes um, that are executed well for the most part. You know, even there's mystery box that shows up here and there. Um, and the payoff is usually pretty good um, in each in each mm-hmm. season. Um, you know, there's some things we could debate there. Um, and then even what you're talking about with um, there's hopelessness with. Uh, with Joss Whedon being like an atheist and he's very much, I think articulated like being kind of like an existentialist nihilist to a certain degree as well. And so, but uh, you know, that's probably my favorite thing is that seeing that, cause I learned that pretty early on about him is that there's still this strong sense of like morality in the show, which is just mm-hmm. very interesting. And I think even Josh Whedon himself at the time, obviously there's some been some some scandal and and things that Josh Whedon has been, you know, issued of, and that stuff is very problematic and and you know, get that crap out of here. But um when it comes to like in the show, he um I mean he resists things like he addresses racism, you know, sexism, uh he talks about, which we'll get into this way later, but I might, I'm actually getting ahead of yes. myself, <laughs> but I'll, I'll say that. I think, I think my favorite thing, I'll, I'll go to this. So a Tolkien connection is that, um, so there's a, if you're interested listeners, there's a free open access Tolkien journal called the journal of Tolkien research. And they actually did a special issue, um, about Joss Whedon and the works of Joss Whedon. And somebody actually takes Tolkien's morals and his world building and his literary theories that's basically rooted in kind of classical Christianity, you know, based in morals and how Christ uh, basically calls us to express ourselves uh, in Christ likeness. And he says we do that through making really good art and resisting evil and doing good things. And we see that throughout Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with that. And Josh Whedon does something mm-hmm. similar. And someone actually wrote a paper comparing Basically, they have the same Josh Whedon and Tolkien's characters, as you pointed out, have the same motivation to fight the good fight, even when it seems like there's no way you can win. And it's just so interesting that Tolkien, who is just this devoted Catholic, uh, very traditional Christian, and then Joss Whedon, this very secular, existentialist, nihilist, atheist, and they come to like the same, uh, at least conclusion about how we are to act towards evil and our responsibility as people, um, which is just so fascinating. And um, I don't remember, I, I don't remember which episode it is, but um, or what season it was, but I feel like it was pretty early on where I was like, oh yeah, this show, like I saw Tolkien all all over that show you know what i mean so kind of that thing have you ever watched seven uh the, the movie? movie oh yeah oh yeah yeah it's uh it's morgan freeman's character who who kind of brings up the Ernest hemingway quote of you know the world is a fine place and worth fighting for and he agrees with the second part i kind of think that's where joss is yeah he doesn't think the world is a fine place but there's something worth fighting for there yeah yeah, which is interesting, you know, because uh, I, I, one of the, I think one of the biggest things that struck me, one of the episodes, is when they are successful in bringing Buffy back uh, after the original season that they thought was going to end, 
And spo- so spoiler alert, listeners, uh, if you haven't watched the show and you're like, I got to get into this, just get off and uh, skip this part and come back. But uh, when Buffy dies in season five, surprise, surprise, uh, and she's revived in the next season and she is just depressed and they think it's, um, oh, I don't even remember what they think, what is depressing her. Like. I, maybe the state of how things are or something like that. It's been so long since I've watched it. But go ahead and give the real reason. Yeah. And so they think they saved her from hell, okay, because they just assume everyone goes there. You know what I mean? Because heaven and hell actually does exist in the Joss Whedon Buffyverse, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And Buffy ends up talking with Spike, who is one of the uh, villains and who becomes a sort of uh, part of the Scoobies at some point, too. And she reveals that she was actually in what she believed to be heaven, where she experienced pure love, embrace, bliss, everything. And she gets revived and gets brought back to earth. And she basically says, this is truly hell. And uh, like uh-huh. you said, you you get that worldview, which is the world's hell, but we're, we still got to fight to fight as opposed to the Christian view, which is the world is good we need to fight the good fight to help bring about the kingdom of God. And then also say, God, please, uh, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm kind of interested on your take in that because that's one of the things I don't like about the sixth season, which has many issues. That being one of them It's like, you come from a universalist side of things. You, you've said you're more softer on that aspect. And, as opposed to me, it's like I have seen no evidence in Buffy's life of any fruit. I don't think at any point in time she actually had a you know statement of faith to Jesus, prayed the prayer, whatever. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you How know it's handled. Yeah, you know it's interesting for me in my universalism, um, and I'm a, I'm a pluralist too. Um, so it's weird because I'm a universe, but I I'm I'm like uh, I believe that there is consequences for actions post this life. Um, but Mm -hmm. I think that there is a chance for God's grace to happen and be available after death. And so we can respond to God's grace, um, after death in whatever capacity we can, whatever time looks like, whatever. Um, and I think that people who experience heaven, union with God, you know, whatever, is people who align themselves with God's aims for the world. That So what that looks like. So as a Christian, I'm somebody who says that I think Jesus is the basically the, the superior revelation of God. But there are people like Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists that I see as doing work that is very similar to what Christians are doing, um, even if it's not motivated by the same factors and seeing that work blending with like the, um, universal desire to bring about the well-being of the world in this life and the next, um, is something where I see Buffy doing that. You know, I see Buffy kind of doing Mm -hmm. that, even if she's not a person of faith, you know, I don't think we know that. But uh, I would assume not. And um, yeah, anyway, that's where I think. Okay. Yeah, it's just always 
Like, because the first time I remember encountering this was in the last battle for Narnia, when you have that one Kalerman soldier that ends up in Narnia heaven. And they're like, how the heck did he end up in here? He wasn't worshiping Aslan. And he had the whole point is that every time you were worshiping Tash and you were doing these good things, you were actually worshiping me. You just didn't know my name or, or something to that effect. Right. And that's always compelled me because I, I don't agree with that. But like as an idea, like, well, if I'm wrong, I really hope that's a thing, mm. you know? I, yeah. No, that's cool. I, you know, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't bring me joy that like, you know, in my point of view, there aren't going to be that many people who end up there. Yeah. Like it, there's nothing like I'm not happy that that's a thing. That's why I work as best I can to fight that. Mm. But that does if I'm wrong, that is something that does make me feel good. Yeah. Well, and, you know, people have brought this up to me, too, because the uni- the universalist view when it comes to salvation um depending on the rendition is, is the more risky one in this life when it comes to evangelism or, or what have you, where if, you know, if I'm wrong that, and I have not done all I can to, you know, spread the gospel, you know, you know, encourage people to make that choice in their lives. There's eternal consequences, right? There's a, there's a bigger risk involved. Um, and I would be responsible for that, um, which is very, very scary. Um, so it is, I think there, um, which I think that helps me connect with like the existential dread within Buffy a lot. Cause it, I think that's also yeah. true. There's so much existential dread about choices you make as a responsible human. And really throughout the show, ev- there are no right choices. Every choice, every victory basically brings about a negative consequence in the Buffy verse. Something else you have. It's the Hydra, right? You cut off one head. There's another one, you know, Uh, there's three, there's four. Yeah. 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 Uh, So fun. So freaking fun. This is why Buffy is so good, y'all. Yeah. So. So, Christian, as far as the show goes, what is your favorite season and why? What characters, storylines and themes stuck out to you? And you ask another question where there's too much to answer. Uh, I, I'll split Buffy and Angel. Uh, Buffy, my answer is probably season three. I really love season three. I love I love the whole dynamic they have, you know, with with Faith showing up to the show, with the mayor as the villain. It's like this affably evil, like he's such a nice guy as he's sacrificing people to become like this great ultra demon kind of thing. And as he explores the world further, I love that immensely. Angel, I would probably say season two. Angel's the one I've rewatched the least. So I, my memory isn't as good, but I do love the exploration more we get of Lauren's character of going to to Pylea and seeing how his demon groups are a bunch of sticks in the mud. And he just wants to sing. He just wants to be that guy, you know, to bring people happiness. I love Lauren so much. He's probably my favorite character in Angel. Um, but uh, as far as favorite characters for Buffy, that's going to be a hard one because there's just so many. Yeah, you, know, you have seven seasons. There's a lot there. I love Anya. Uh, I love Xander. I love Riley. You know, my hot take is I prefer Riley as Buffy's love interest. And I think they did him dirty in season Dude, five. they did him so dirty. Because they knew he was a good fit for him. That is my conspiracy theory. Yes. That they knew he was too good of a love interest. He was actually going to be good for her that they had to reintroduce Angel and Spike, who I do like as love interest, but also temporary love interest for her. 
uh, like who else? Like I love Willow. I love Giles. Like you know, Willow's exploration of, you know, learning how to be a witch, how to use her powers. And then Giles it starts off with this little nebbish, like I'm just going to sit behind this desk in a library and do research and actually becomes a bit more of an action guy along the way. And actually for um, Angel too, like it's not like I hated Cordelia in Buffy, but she wasn't near one of my favorites. But to see her grow as a character in Angel, if they had kept her in Buffy, that never would have happened. And like the way she stands up to Angel and becomes her own woman. I really appreciate what they did with her there. But they also did her dirty because of what Whedon said about her pregnancy and wanting her to have an abortion because it got in the way. So, yeah, you take the good with the bad. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, you know, with Cordelia, I don't I don't really like what they did with her at the at the end of Angel. Um, Yeah. Which I haven't listened to the audible. Did you see that she and a bunch of the other um, actors put together basically like a separate universe? audible book no and so basically cordelia you know gets the chance to be a slayer essentially because of you know the power that buffy shares um and i need to listen to it because it's got so it's apparently it's just amazing so um and i need redemption for cordelia uh yes because such a she got done dirty she really did and her her character development is just her the payoff and the person she becomes is just so awesome um, and to end it like they did, it was just like, no, dude, like it could have been more, could have been more. Yes. Ah, so good, dude. I, um, oh man, I love, uh, you know, season three is pretty close. I think that's my close second. Uh, I love, um, the mayor is my favorite villain of all time. One of my top <laughs> five villains ever He's just so, Mm. he's just so, he's written so well. He is this whole, he just, he portrays himself as this wholesome family man who just wants to make, you know, Sunnydale this place that's happy for families where people want to move in and raise their children. And then he just like, will chop off henchmen's heads on a whim and wipe his hands clean and go, let's get some ice cream. You know, it's, it's the humor is hilarious. Um, he's so disturbingly evil in such a unique mm. way that I don't think I've seen um, in other characters. But so I would say probably Joker. I would compare it to the Joker. I would say that Joker is like obviously this. Um, we don't know who he is. Generally, you know, he's a villain who's untouchable. All this other stuff. Um, but this this mayor is really just this kind of enigma of a. Uh, who seems like a wholesome guy who's very wholesome humor and doesn't like when people swears. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's kind of apt because like, depending on the story, you never know which Joker you're going to get. Right. Is it the maniacal mass murderer Joker? Is it the Joker who's going to slap you a, a pie in your face? Like, you don't know. the same thing with the mayor. Like you could catch him on a really good day. And like, he's there for the photo ops and getting his work done and say, guys, you shouldn't be swearing. That's real bad. Wholesome family values. And in the next second, he's sacrificing someone, a bunch of kids at graduation to try and become this Uber demon. Also nineties TV, uh, CGI. That's all I have to say. <laughs> True. Uh, I think, I think that episode, I will say probably my favorite episodes, um, are probably graduations part one and two. I love those episodes. They wrap that season up so well. Uh, now I'm talking about season three, like it's my favorite. Um, 
and totally take it. But uh, just the way that it also connects with like when the when they are like, we did it, guys. And they're like, yeah, we did. And we did. We defeated him. And he's like, no, we we survived high school. So just so relatable. So good. Um, yes. And now because I've been season three, uh, the season that Willow goes dark is my favorite season. And I think that's season. Really? Yeah. I think that's season six. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. I just love the exploration. Like Willow is one of my favorite characters. I love um, her development too, where she's kind of just a sidekick along with Xander kind of. And she starts kind of dabbling in magic very, very slowly throughout the show. Her, her powers is very, is very much a slow burn. Um, And when we get to see just how like powerful Willow becomes and how she has to wrestle with power and these themes of like, what do you do when you have this power, which Buffy wrestles with all the time. Right. But she's kind of, mm-hmm. um, she's kind of uh, always written as like this morally upright character who always does the right thing, even if it's, she doesn't make the right choice. Um, and she shares power and to see Willow, take all of the power and become drunk with it to the point where she turns on her friends and almost destroys the entire world is and is and is saved by the love of her friends and of course there's the trope of like friendship you know uh conquers all or whatever um but it's done it's written in such a cool way and 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 the season where giles comes back and he's got the powers and there uh, unfortunately there's no like cool action scene but when you just see willow just get hit with a with a beam of magic and giles comes back and you're just like yes yes uh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and giles is my favorite character throughout the entire show oh excellent choice yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say six because I know a lot of people that's like one of their worst. And in my opinion, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's one of the most inconsistent seasons, which once again, coming back from what they thought would be the finale. So they're kind of scrambling things together so that I can show a little grace towards. But, you know, you get the whole, you know, Buffy coming back to life. You know, I was in heaven. Uh, you, uh, the musical episode, totally worth it. That's a great Absolutely. one. Absolutely. You have Giles leaving because I think, Anthony Stewart head was doing something in England, mm-hmm. filming something else for a bit. Him coming back was great. That scene where Buffy's telling him all the bad things that happen in that season. And the both of them just laughing at the absurdity of it all. Yes. I do love that a lot. I don't like how they kind of retcon magic to make Willow go dark. Sure. But i like the results of what happens, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I'm not trying to knock down your favorite season and say you're wrong, but you know, yeah, sorry. No, no, I, I, everything about that, everything you said is, is real, you know, and there's so much inconsistencies and, and things like that. And like you said, them scrambling to kind of figure out what's happening in the show. But I think that where they eventually, what they explore with Willow, because she really becomes like the, the focal point of that season. Um, yes. And I think what they, the themes they explore and who she is, um, and just seeing her go dark is is really cool to me. Like I love her transformation when she starts getting like the black veins and her eyes just turn like entirely mm. black. So cool to me. Um, but I, I think and I think it is a catalyst further into like 
how the cosmology of the Buffy work Buffy verse works. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's why I, it it gave in later. Yeah, and I think part of it too is that in the later comics, she becomes like a sort. She also becomes kind of like this prophesied witch that's like across interdimensional like all-powerful witch that's gonna like bring magic to like you know this completeness that uh, this new era of magic that's never happened very similar to kind of like buffy as as a prophet as the prophesied mm-hmm. slayer um and so it starts with willow basically getting so powerful she's gonna she has the power to destroy the world yeah 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 um yeah before i move on to the next thing i'll just say uh Giles being my favorite character I tell Kelly all the time, as soon as I turn 40, I'm transitioning to my hot librarian phase. Um, I'm going to Goodwill. I am getting tweed jackets. I am getting vests. And I am wearing very 90s uh, patterned ties. Um, and that will be my style from from that point on. Yes. From thence, as they say it in Shakespearean times. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we've covered a ton, but you know, one of the reasons why I personally think Buffy was so huge, why it has a cult following, why people are still participating and engaging, you know, Angel and the comics and now have an interest in this new audiobook. Um, it just covers such a wide range of topics and issues. Like legitimately the show handles things like theology, economics, class issues, coming of age, loss of a parent, breakups, cosmology, the nature of good and evil, gender issues. And the list just goes on and on and on with the show. Um, So, and being a Tolkien guy, as I have said multiple times already, there are so many connections to be made with the Buffy verse. Um, and how it addresses these issues within the fabric of its storytelling. Um, one in particular is that neither world brings up God. Okay, Tolkien's world doesn't either. But both constantly deal with issues of morality, how the normal people along with super people are to respond to the big bad evils along with the mundane everyday evils we face. So Middle Earth along with the Hellmouth promotes a responsible way for those within the show and maybe us uh, to resist these evils, to make the world a little better. Um, so we may not even see the fruits of our resistance, but we can make the world a better place for those ahead of us. Uh, we've, we've kind of touched on this already, but, uh, yeah, I mean, tell me like, what are some more, more thoughts on that? And do you think that's an, uh, that's apt what I said, what big theme does the show deal with that you, if, if it's not that what's, what's one of the themes that you're like, Oh yeah, this, this gets me every time. It's one of those things that, like you said, we have touched on this before, but it's so important for the world that they resist because all it takes is for them to stop. I mean, we get to that one episode, I think it's season three, where Buffy ends up in the universe where she never came to Sunnydale. Willow and Xander are vampires. Like, uh, there's Cordelia that makes the wish. That's what it is. And oh, what she did mattered. This whole town would have been under the thrall of the master and his minions if she had never shown up there. Yes. We get to we get to Angel and we get to the point like, are we still the good guys if we're working for Wolfram and Hart? Yeah. Like, are we doing good? Have we sold out to allow this happen? That really funny scene where Angel like, you know, high fives the guy who looks like the literal devil yes. and then, you know, says we're the good guys or something like that. Like, but 
no, they, they are the good guys. Maybe they compromised a little bit, but a part of that was them realizing, okay, we wanted to use this organization that is always geared towards evil so we could get it towards good, but they were mani manipulating us the whole time. Well, that doesn't have to define us. Our last scene in the Buffyverse on live action is them fighting back against a literal hell dimension brought to Los Angeles as a dragon is about to attack them. Like, you can't get more, you know, metal than that for that that theme of we are fighting, we are resisting, no matter the cost. Uh, yes. Yes, everything you just said. Um, and towards the end of Angel, I really had a hard time. But that the way they ended the show was so perfect, in my opinion, when it comes to that last shot um, and what Angel and... Uh, angel investigations that whole team was all about um and we really get to see characters redeem themselves um you know and except maybe lorne who kind of does something he never would have done and you know leaves and mm -hmm. i'm with you there lorne is such an i god i love lorne um yes uh yeah I, I wish i had more of him he doesn't really show up a lot in the comics either which is which is a bummer um yeah, yeah. Man, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting with what you said about just responsibility and in doing that. Um, yeah, I think, I think one of the things that influenced me that I tried to or struck me throughout the show is like the the episode where Buffy stumbles upon her mom dying. Oh gosh! And there's no yeah, music. That was a rough one, dude. I cried watching that, and I like, I'm not a big crier. Um, especially when it comes yeah. to like watching uh, shows in general, it just doesn't really happen. But the way that the actors just wrestled with, I think when I cried was when Anya who had been immortal, you know, pretty much f at that point had just experienced death for the first time, you know, for someone she cared about, mm. you know, and her just breaking down was just like, it was it. Um, and Buffy handles those really mundane every day, um, things that people are dealing with, like, um, like loss of a parent, getting a new job, um, you know, future, you know, college careers, not working out the way you thought it would, um, you know, just all that stuff. And I think those little things I try to sit with more cause we've talked about, I'm, I mean, you and I, I, I feel like me and you are like into the, like, we love theology. We love getting super nerdy. Like there's an episode where, yeah. um, the beer episode in Buffy where college students bring up Thomas Aquinas and you're like, what yeah. is Thomas Aquinas doing here? This is so random. And someone's like, yeah, leave the theology right. in the classroom. I'm like, this is awesome. This is so awesome. Uh, and, and the guy who says it yeah. is, is the guy who is, uh, I can't remember his name, but he plays Harold and Harold and Kumar, which is just the best. Yes. No, you, you spot on there. And there's so many other things it's like I identity, like that, that classic question everyone has to ask in their lives. Who am I? Yes. Comes across all these characters. Maybe they never say that phrase out loud, but it's like Buffy is the slayer. I have all this identity and who I am. Well, I just dropped out of college. I have no life skills here. Like, how am I supposed to be in this world eventually, you know, when her mother dies and she's taking care of Dawn, who is still a teenager who didn't exist until she does, you know, and you have you have Willow like 
who am I as this person? Am I still the person I was season one? Have I moved on? Is this magic my new thing? Like, uh, who do I love now? Is it Oz? Is it Tara? Like, oh, moving yes. on from that. Um, you got Xander's like, as many, I, apparently other people don't like this episode as much as me, but the Zeppo, uh, where he has that whole adventure while they're fighting some interdimensional uh, attack from the other side of the Hellmouth or something. And he's stopping this thing on his own. It's yes. like, hey, I don't have to be like them. I'm me. I bring something to the team. I'm not the one. I'm not the slayer. I'm not the strategist. I'm Xander. And I'm cool with that. And then, of course, Angel, identity, huge thing there. How long has he been on this earth? Like, what does it mean to have a soul? What does it mean to not have a soul? I love how they explore that. I don't always agree with their, you know, ending points. Sure. But, like, I-, I like that they they wrestled with that idea. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, that, ep- that Xander episode is so good because I'm with you. Uh, especially just how, like, oh, the team's like, yep, just stopped another apocalypse. You know, just so... <laughs> like just so nonchalantly and uh like you said yeah. xander's like i just conquered my little area of uh, of my life and i'm i'm accepting myself it's 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 so excellent um yes there's complex things with xander but i think that there are things that are really cool that i think young men could do well to watch xander's growth as an adolescent to a young adult um there's a, yes. there's there's like i said besides him being kind of a perv sometimes uh most of the time uh him growing up uh is re- <laughs> is really really reassuring um and and helpful to to wrestle with those things in my opinion the xander of episode one he's like uh, enamored with buffy hitting on her because that's what he thinks guys should do versus the one he becomes along the way there's a huge difference like you see that growth as time goes on and you're like yes you've got it you're understanding some things here man i love it yeah yeah well and you've read season eight so you see you see him basically become yeah. nick fury you know so he goes <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah and they in in the comic they make an explicit reference uh and that's the one thing too about buffy was that they make so many nerd references that are so niche where uh you know xander's like flirting with one of the slayers and she's like oh you know you look like nick fury from you know comic you know this issue number blah 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 and he's like actually it's on the right side and the issue you're thinking of is actually xyz (laughs) it's so it's so good well, you even got two, like, uh, Will will appreciate this one. When Whedon was writing Astonishing X-Men, uh, Scott, you know, Cyclops, last name is Summers, mentions he has a, a cousin who lives in California. No. The, you know, idea being that it's Buffy. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, so, yeah, there's, which we could we could probably get into the amount of references and nerdy layers that it gets into, but... Uh, we have just been, we have just given, we just put Buffy, the Buffy verse through the ringer, uh, this episode. And, uh, it's been, mm. it's been way too much fun. Um, but before, before we wrap up, Krishna, is there anything you, uh, you want to discuss? Well, you answered what I was going to ask, like, who do you prefer Buffy to have ended up with? I mean, cause I'm on team Riley. It's so tough. Cause I, yeah. Cause angel, like, I don't approve of how they ended up in a relationship very early on with the age difference being as huge as it was as adults. I'm not as big. I'm not as much caring about that season eight that it worked really well enough as a couple. If you're not going to put Riley in the picture spike, I like that he did 
like pursue the idea of getting his soul back because of his love for her. That's that's a really cool concept. You know, can, can there be good inside a person who doesn't have a soul? I like that to, to want to seek to have a soul. But I'm Riley all the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like it. I like it. I think Riley is the wholesome choice, um, the most the healthy choice. And I think we've kind of talked about like in when it comes to media, like in my own life, I and my wife is very wholesome. Like I was a, a, a freaking doo-doo head growing up. My wife was valedictorian, like <laughs> became an accountant. Like she did not do things she really wasn't supposed to generally. Uh, just and and was very good for my for my well-being and my soul. Uh, God placed her in my life. Um, and it's it's been for the better. Um, but with that said, when it comes to watching shows. I love the chaos. I love terrible relationships that are just toxic and dangerous because I think it's very hot. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. So Buffy and okay. Buffy and Spike are my ideal ship. Um, because, and part of it is because Angel and Buffy, down with Angel and Buffy. Absolutely terrible. Uh, it, it basically gives me uh, Edward and, uh, and Bella vibes. Very similar. Uh, you're 200 years old. You're showing up in a high school girl's room. Uh, you're falling in love. Yes. It's, it's strange. And then you're super, str and then you're like emotionally distant and you move away and you just take Buffy along for a ride. And obviously you're, there's, they both have things to do. Um, and they have complex yes. things. So Buffy does that too. But Spike and Buffy come together of their own accord, even if it's toxic and, uh, you know, I just think that uh, that's where mine is. It's, it's super hot and, and dangerous love. And uh, Spike originally tried to kill Buffy and then they reconciled um, and destroyed a house uh, while making love. And so, you know, you can't start up a yes. relationship better off than that. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's all I got to say. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you good to transition to the the interview? Oh, I'm super good to transition. Okay. So, uh, listeners, much like we did last time, it's like, hey, you know, when a host leaves the show, we want to be better about letting you guys know. And, you know, uh, we haven't always been perfect about this. But, you know, we make sure there's no bad feelings between anyone here. Like, Nick didn't do something behind the scenes. And, like, how hey, we had to let go of you because of that. He's not in any legal trouble. There's no murders being done in his name. He hasn't started the cult. Like he's got a life. He's got a wife. He's got responsibilities that he has to get done that this takes away from. And this is for fun. Like we're not making any money off of this. So it's how it goes. And you have people like me who have all the time in the world because I do nothing in my life except watch TV and play video games and work and go to school. Even though I do more, I'm just making fun of me. Like it's easier for me to do that. So that's where we're at right now. So Nick, there's a couple of questions. Since, like we mentioned, this is your last episode as a host, but not your last as a guest. I want to make sure that's, that's prevalent. Nick will be back. Yes, indeed. When we call upon him, when we, when we put the Nick signal in the sky, he will return to us. Ooh, yeah. Like, uh, we'll, we'll put the, oh, man, what would be a good one? Uh, what's, uh, what's the light that, uh, goodness gracious, uh, Galadriel gives to Sam? Yeah, the light of Elendil. The, uh... Yes, we'll have that. That'll be our beacon. Oh, yes. I will absolutely come and I will see a Rendell star, the Silmaril on his brow in the sky, and I will ride Vingalot 
to the systematic geekology yes. page. We'll look and see him with the writers of Rohan and Gandalf to, to assist us in our time of most need. Ooh. So with all that in mind, like where will you go from here and where can people find and support you in those endeavors? Uh, man, it's been it's been super fun at Systematic Ecology. And I just want to say again, I'm, I'm very thankful for Christian. Um, Christian and I, I feel like we've been on probably the most episodes together. Um, I think maybe halfway, maybe, maybe Peng. That is, sounds about right. Peng is probably a close second. Um, yeah. Christian and I just, I feel like we just jive really well. And Christian called me and he was like, hey, we got to have you, we got to do a send off episode. Um, and it was, it was, I was just very honored and have loved my time here. Just made some really good friends um, who will continue to be, I hope, lifelong. Um, and you know, unfortunately I will, you were saying all these things and I was like, man, maybe, maybe I should start a cult. Like that sounds like a better option than, you know, <laughs> actually doing things that are responsible. Um, but unfortunately it's, it's more mundane than that listeners. Um, but, uh, appreciate the opportunity too. So I write, um, a Substack called Tolkien pop and i right on the intersections of Tolkien and pop culture. Um, and I also do some book reviews and, and kind of do whatever I want on the side. But I try to do something at least I'd, I've said twice a month, but it's really it's really once a month with trying to do twice. But I do everything from just looking at like themes in shows um, that are similar to references. Like I have a, I have an article on like friends and when they do Gandalf, the party animal, and I do like a whole thing about Gandalf as this kind of transitionary symbol. Um, that's just an example. So I do things like that. And, um, and I also am the production editor for the academic journal of the Tolkien society. And so I'm a Tolkien evangelist. If you love Tolkien, um, and you want to kind of get connected with other Tolkien nerds and just want to deepen your fandom, there's a digital membership, very cheap. Um, I don't get paid. I'm a volunteer. Nobody gets paid at the Tolkien Society. Everyone's volunteers. So anyway, those are where you can find me. And uh, that's, you know, the more if you get more involved with Tolkien and you just say, hey, Nick, I don't really care that you're gone, but I, your suggestion to join the Tolkien Society has changed my life. I will I will cry tears of joy. Mm. yeah go, guys go check him out there but also for this like you've been on quite a few as your time here as a host like is there a favorite episode you recorded and you can pick multiple because you can cheat like me because i'm in charge right now um man there, there's so many good ones um i'm gonna pick multiple ones the ones that are the most memorable I think yeah. I think that our Avatar one with you, me, and Kino was uh, extremely fun. And I think you had to leave in the middle of that one. I did. Yeah. And Kino and I just had this. I hated it because we were just jiving so well. Gosh. And it was like, it was really like. Those pesky classes got in the way. Gosh, you know, school. It's too much. You just read too much, dude. You know, just, you just read too much. <laughs> uh yeah, and it was it was just cool, like it, you know. And Kino and I ended up just taking it a completely different direction and started talking about like marriage advice and learning about him. It was so random and so fun. And that was cool. so good. It was it was a blast. I think that's actually who I told that I liked toxic relationships. I think that's where I said that because I don't remember who I said somebody should end up. That with. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think I said I think because you guys you just you just went off. <laughs> Oh, I said it because I was a Zutara fan. 
And I think yes. and Kino was like, uh, no. <laughs> That's when we <laughs> went into that to that whole side thing about marriage and healthy relationships. I feel like Kino, uh, Kino was concerned for me a little bit, which was very fun and also uh, endearing. That was a solid one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very fun, uh, way, way too much fun. Um, I think I did a Rick and Morty episode with Will and, um, mm-hmm. Will and I just have very similar humor. Uh, we like Beavis and Butthead. We like South Park. Like we, we, we love, um, King of the Hill. Like I feel like Will and I just like, we're like, yeah, we get it, you know, and had fun there. Um, and then I think the last one that I am thinking of is a recent one with, uh, with James on Rudolph. Um, that was an excellent one. So yeah, fun. you guys had a great talk. Gosh, it was so fun. I did not anticipate Rudolph to go that way. Like I was like, Oh, this will be kind of fun and jolly and maybe we'll get deep. And J- that was the second episode James and I had ever been on together. And it was the first time him and I had just been on alone. Um, and it was just so me and him just got like learned about each other and went deep on Rudolph and it was just cool. It was cool. Yeah. So those are my top, uh, yeah. top three. And I don't know if they're top, but like the ones most memorable, I'll put it that way, were the episode, the My Hero Overview episode we did with Pang and James at six in the morning, my time, five in the morning, your time. I forgot about and that. Listeners, I I am not a morning person at all. That meant I had about four hours of sleep, maybe, at that point in time. Like I was so loopy, but like we were just having fun and we had to stop because other people had to get to work. And I'm like, why couldn't we just keep going? That was a ton of fun. Uh, let's say also the episode we did with TJ on One Punch Man. I enjoyed that immensely. Like, you know, seeing your perspective versus, you know, TJ and I being, you know, manga and webcomic readers and you being anime only and like the divide there and how we can geek out of the same thing. Like we have the secret Gnostic hidden knowledge over here of what actually happens. And we're trying to like not spoil things for you, but like, hey, you're you're right to think this way because you only have this information here. It's like keep pressing on. (laughs) I, I enjoyed that one immensely. Me too. You know, and I think that our episodes is just that especially getting into that. And like, I'm, I'm just a yes person when it comes to new experiences and new things. Like I don't really like reality TV shows, but if I have a close friend who's like, dude, you gotta love, or you gotta watch, I don't know. Um, you know, the circle on Netflix. Um, I'll be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I don't care about that, but I will, I'll, I'll watch it for you. And potentially it might even be a nerd about it, but as somebody who's like anime and we, we like similar things. And I was like, "Eh, I don't know about the second season of one punch man. And then you were like, you and TJ. And I'm like, now as friends who have that Gnostic secret knowledge, I, uh, it's on, I'm, I'm planning on doing a dive into it. So uh, the geek, the systematic geekology web of jewels is real. Excellent. Now that makes me happy. So next question, a little bit of a different one. Like, in your opinion, it's like, is there anything else from your time here that you would have done differently as a host? Like, it's just in general, like anything. Yeah, I think I'm very bad at um, when it comes to like regular personal communication and social media communication. And I think I would have just loved to spend a little more time on the Discord with everybody or at least start a group message and kind of just, even if it was like, let's send each other nerd memes or something. Um, I think that would have been fun to do. Um, 
I think that maybe if that had happened, maybe gone into like, like I said, just and, and being more, uh, being more, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, a, just aggressive in um, suggesting content and stuff that I care about and contributing to the SG catalog. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it's the relational and that I think the relationships, if I had approached it that way, maybe had um, produced more content and really just more uh, times to hang out with, with, with everybody. I think that's good. As someone, I'm not the best at communication because I forget people exist, not because they don't matter to me, but because I, I'm still a baby. I suffer from object permanence really bad. Yeah. We've talked about like, our I don't even know if I'm joking right? about that. Yeah. Like, that may very well be a problem I have. I don't know. So I get it. So yeah, there's no perfect thing like me. I know I get too aggressive at times to say what I want to say that I wait for someone to finish speaking and it doesn't always necessarily correlate to what they just said. And I want to talk about what I want to. And I've had to stop myself. Like, that's not good content. That's not very loving content. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you have what you want to say. Say what you want to say, but make sure you also acknowledge that other person. I haven't been perfect about that, but it's something I'm trying to be more mindful of. Just mm. yeah, so, so anyone out there is like, I didn't just throw that question at Nick while I have no flaws myself. No, this is great. And I think yeah, there's plenty of those. I will say, too, that maybe because I feel I've never felt that you have uh, dominated and taken away my chance to speak in any episodes we've done. So at least with with me, I feel like you, uh, you know, you you are an exemplifying, you know, what Christ likeness on the Internet looks like. So. All right. Ten percent success. Rate. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, next up. If you can encourage the listeners to check out one fandom for the first time that we didn't mention today, what would it be and why should they get into it? I put a lot of thought into this <clears throat> because there's so many. Obviously, being systematic ecology, there are so many. And I mm -hmm. I want I don't want to do Tolkien because I already said what I want everyone to do. Um, it's just, you know, uh, I don't need to to be a or what's the word? I don't even predictable like that, um, <laughs> which I'm fine with predictability, but I, I feel like there should be more. I think, um, and I think this is something I, ha we, we mentioned on a, what it, or a what's new podcast, but I think for those of you who can stomach it, South park is worth getting into. Um, absolutely. And Christian and I have shared our mutual appreciation for South Park and the way that they approach comedy and making fun of people across all ideological lines. Um, and I think South, it, it, I think the first, for those who want to get into the first three seasons are tough, um, just because that's like the first thing they've ever done. Um, they really get their stride probably in season four and five, uh, after the South Park movie comes out. So, um, they just give a lot of really interesting critique and insight into society. And, and they, most of the time it's unintentional. It's just kind of to, it's, it's to, it's a vehicle for the jokes they tell. Um, and it just, they continue to get better because they're still going on. Um, and the, the Matt and Trey who are the creators of South Park extended universe, like team America, um, basketball, uh, the book of Mormon, all yes. things you should watch. Basketball is a little silly, but, uh, that's more of a slapstick comedy. Uh, but anyway, I think if you can do it, it it's, it, it's thoughtful. And I think it would challenge you uh, and listeners in, in the best way possible. I 100% agree. 
like if you have never if you're like me listener you're more conservative and things like that you kind of go i can't engage with that well i encourage you lovingly if you're able of handling like this is something this may be a romans 14 situation like you just can't can't handle it that's not your fault right that's who you are but if you're able to like go in there and learn that they're making fun of me they're making fun of nick yes they're making fun of themselves Everyone is a target, not because they're mean and they don't like people, not because they're just spewing hate into the world, but because no one is above reproach. No one is above being made fun of because guess what? We're humans. We do stupid things and we do and say even more uh, moronic things as time goes on. Those need to be parodied. Those need to be made fun of so we can be humble. It's a great humbling for me as an evangelical for the most part to watch some of what South Park has to say about Christianity and not even just the Catholicism parts. When they go to the evangelical side of things and go, oh, that hit a little close to home. Oh, well, maybe something should be done about that if a secular world is making fun of that. Mm. You know, it'll open your eyes. Yeah. Also, you know, as a more liberal, but also still within the evangelical tradition, you know. Uh, yeah. And also laughter um, is good. And laughter yes. is a vehicle of the Holy Spirit to reveal uh, what God is doing in your life. So is, is, uh, is South Park a means of grace? Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> okay. Excellent. All right. Final question. Besides this episode that uh, for listeners don't know, like, you know, like I asked Nick, what would be the one thing? Oh, you did mention that earlier today. So they know like besides this one, what topic would you have loved to have covered that you never got the chance to get to? Yeah, I thought about this too and thought about if I needed to do South Park or not again. Uh, but I don't think I will. I think I think I made it very clear that if, you know, South Park could have been a could have been an episode. Um, I think that's something I wish that I had done a little bit more or like had revisited was the um, the Cartoon Network Teen Titan show. Um, mm. I, I think that I end up, I think of my, I don't know if an episode, the last episode I did with you, maybe, I don't remember, but I think I had brought up that I had started rewatching it again and the animation for the time and the themes that it deals with the music, uh, the voice acting, it's just so iconic, I think, and really set the stage for a lot of animation, action, superhero, um, related things and many of those voice actors are voice acting everything and doing like real acting and are really um shaping culture through television um still and uh i would have loved to done a, a deeper dive on that specific area of teen titans and then maybe even bring in you know the original comics and and the the dc yeah. you know show etc cetera, etc cetera, the live action yeah all right, we'll have to put that one on the docket because I'll be there right with you. Let's do it. Yes. All right. Well, uh, those are all the questions I had, unless there's something you wanted to add before I hand things back to you. No, I just wanted to say thank you to Christian. Thank you, dude. Um, thanks to Josh. Josh reached out to me, uh, invited me to be a part of the team um, right after we hung out at Theology Beer Camp in 2022. And just got connected with awesome people and um, would just, like I said, whenever the Nick signal happens, you know, I will freaking be here. Um, 
And I hope to actually, you know, with I'd love to feature some people who like to write on Tolkien Pop from Systematic Ecology um, as well. Anyway, so there's that. And um, I'm just going to I'm going to miss doing these uh, excuses to just be on the Internet for an hour and a half nerding out with you, dude. Oh, yeah. I'm going to miss it, too, Nick. But I mean, that's part of life. It's like not like you're leaving forever, but life goes on. You're still my friend. Any chance we get to have this again? I'm game. Mm. Cowboys don't say goodbye. They say see you later. <laughs> Absolutely. Stole that from Yellowstone. You're welcome, listeners. Um, <laughs> so uh, do you have any recommendations, Christian, before we go? Yeah. Um, if you want a set of novels that are most definitely, as in like undeniably, like, I was sort of like influenced by Buffy and Angel, check out the Dresden Files. Oh. I love this series so much. Like even I have never listened to the audiobooks, but James Marster Spike himself reads them. And it just adds some mul multiple layers from people I've heard who've actually I've talked to who've actually read those or listened to them with his voice. It's got magic, it's got vampires, it's got romance, it's got intrigue, there's everything in there. A ton of great world building too. Like it's amazing. Like check it out. I have been recommended Dresden Files by so many people, um, and I just—it's just one of those things. It's on the list. It's, and I didn't realize that it was inspired by Buffy and Angel, and that James Marsden's read the audiobooks. Uh, I freaking love James Marsden, um, so I need that in my life. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, a, a fantasy book that I. Ended up on my Amazon wish list and someone bought it for me for Christmas. And I cannot find out for the life of me who recommended me this book. Um, but it's called, it's a fantasy book called by Susanna Clark called um, Mr. Norell or sorry. Yeah. Uh, it, wait, is it Jonathan Norell and Mr. Strange or something oh, like that? Mr. I, I've only watched the BBC production. I think there's a BBC production. What the heck? I think it's BBC. I thought it on Netflix at one point in time. I need it. Uh, that makes me so happy. It's Mr. Norell and Jonathan Strange. Yeah. Very, very fun, very cool fantasy book. It's it's about 800 pages, so it's a, it's a big it's a big boy. But uh explores fantasy. It's very nerdy. There's footnotes. Um highly recommend. Highly recommend. Um yeah, so listeners, as we come to the end here, as somebody who is terrible with goodbyes, but like I said, this is just see you later. Uh, you know, if you liked our conversation, if you love systematic ecology and you want more, there's not enough for you go to, uh, captivate, go to Patreon, give us some support. We would love to hang out with you on the internet, uh, take your money, um, and give you more content and, uh, you know, go to YouTube, check out the SG YouTube channel. Christian does a lot of good stuff on there. Um, you know, connect with us on the interwebs through through systematic ecology. Um, we would just love to nerd out with you online. Um, and uh, you can also suggest future episode topics. So uh, that, there's that. Be a part of creating the, the meaning. Remember, we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. Spooches listeners. <laughs> <laughs>